Hello and welcome to episode 207 of the Punter Podcast. I'm Chris Barnett. We can't wait to Tuesday at Royal Ascot, the first day of the Royal Meeting in 2023. Three Group 1 races for us to enjoy, including the Queen Anne, the King's Stand and the St James's Palace Stakes, all looking to provide loads of fun and excitement and some top finishes for all racing fans. On this episode, we get to hear from the Australian trainers of Coolangatta and Cannonball as we look forward to the first day's racing on what will be a daily podcast every day of the week throughout Royal Ascot here on the City AM, the Punter Podcast. City AM racing editor Bill Esdell is on hand to preview all of Tuesday's action and we'll also hear from the totes Jamie Hart who tells us all about those unique and exciting Whirlpool markets. It's finally time to look forward to Royal Ascot 2023 and Bill Esdell joins us once again to talk about the week that's coming up and in particular we're going to look today towards Tuesday the first day with three group one races to look forward to plus a group two as well. Bill as we record Tuesday's podcast a couple of days in advance Sunday evening looks like the, the weather's turned a little bit the rain has finally come so it hit the cricket and it hits certain racetracks as well. That can only be good news for Chris Stickles and the team. Yeah, it hasn't hit his Ascot so far at the time of recording. We're, we've just gone four o'clock uh, or six o'clock now, actually, um, on Sunday night. And there was a great, if you go onto ascot.com forward slash the going, you can get live updates on how much rain falls. And they've had less than a millimeter. Um, oh. at, at this current time, it could change because it's it's grey outside, and it, it, they could easily get a big storm and, and and dump a whole lot. But they put eight millimeters of water on the track on Saturday, and that was it. They said they'd cease watering. Um, I think you might have to get the watering cans back out again because tomorrow looks. Well, there's still a chance of rain tonight, but tomorrow looks a bit fairer, and um, they probably have to start watering again because the straight is very fast. It's good to firm at eight point two, I think, on the going stick. On the, it's quick ground. Uh, very quick round, and they'll need to water if they don't get a big downpour. Will he be looking to get good going, or will it be good to firm good in places? Yeah, I think that, I mean that they, they, they don't like it to go good to firm because it starts to quicken out as the day unfolds, and the worst thing to do is to start a, a day on good to firm and without the good in places, and and mm-hmm. um, and before you know it, the last race is run on a on a pavement. So they they just want to stay on top of it, and you know Ascot's a very hard place. Well, being a being a clerk, clerk of the course, full stop, is a very hard job. And yeah. we saw at Ascot a few years ago when you get storms that land, and I think there was that sixty odd mills in one day um, a few years back. It can happen, so they just have to be careful. But they've they've watered to maintain to this point. It's good fast ground. We're probably going to have a meteor good fast ground, but if one of these big storms lands and it gets 10, 12 mils, it could soften the ground up. But I don't think it'll soften it too much because they'd probably be putting five to eight mils on the track a day leading up to the race meeting anyway. We're going to hear about Whirlpool in the, the podcast and they'll be on every day with a few selections and tips and tricks and how to get the best bets out of the Royal Meeting. We'll also hear from the connection to Coolangatta and from Cannonball, the Aussie Raiders in the King's Stand on, on this podcast. But just talking about Whirlpool, they're here all week, as I say, and uh, all the way through until Saturday. And it really 
it's going to boost the pools and, and give us some really nice, tasty, exotic bets, I think. Yeah, totally. And, you know, we'll hear from Jamie Hart later in the podcast. There are some huge injections of capital in into into the into the global whirlpool and you know the quinellas et al and all these exotics are going to get boosted and you're going to get some big dividend returns on normally the unfancied horses so when there's a turn up just you wait and see what the whirlpool dividend is so those betting on track or those betting out have a look at the whirlpool because i'll be tipping up horses on the whirlpool as well as fixed odds but Sometimes you're high-fiving the world because you're back to 16 to one shot and you see the world ball turn 28 <laughs> and you suddenly feel a bit nauseous. So definitely something to keep on side uh, for an exciting week. And as we mentioned in, in the interview with Jamie later on, you can actually not back a winner all week at Royal Ascot and still win pretty much in every race by backing a bet where you have to get the first, second or third in, in the race. Anyway, that was all to come. Sounds like my kind of bet. No winner in sight, but still winning, picking up a winning ticket. That that sounds pretty good to me. Tuesday's a great day, isn't it, at, at Royal Ascot? It always is. We we kick off on the straight mile, the Queen Anne Stakes, one of the three Group 1s on the day. And this one does seem to be in the betting between in Spiral for John and Thady Gosden, who we haven't seen since October, when disappointing in the, the QE2 Stakes. And modern games for Charlie Appleby and Godolphin, who we saw coming out winning the Lockinge by a good length and a half beating Chindit on that occasion. Native Trails in there as well, with James Doyle riding, who was second at Newmarket. Chindit's also in this race. Uh, Mutasarbeck's in there as well. Cash, you run quite well at Sandown, but that's going back three starts now. Also in there. Is this a, a two-horse race for, for the winning line in Spiral and modern games or can anything else get involved yeah it it, it probably is uh i i would say um in answer to what you started this is a proper day's racing that any, anyone looks at tuesday's royal ascot card you will struggle to find a better day's racing flat or jumps anywhere in this country or the world to be honest it, it's we should be properly proud remember this racing is very good at putting itself down the whole time but actually this is as good a day's racing as you'll see anywhere with big field sizes competitive races and it's top notch and you kick off with as good a race as there is in in the queen anne and you've got two at the top of the market who in essence look like a bit of a coin toss you've got inspiral who if she returns to the form that saw her walk away um last year with the coronation stakes she's going to be very hard to beat that day was fast it was on the round course this is on the straight course much she was brilliant um defied a long absence there so um that that isn't too much of a worry for her she we haven't seen her since champions day like you said but she was below par on champions day and she was below par at newmarket in july when she was beaten at sevens on um that kind of blotted her dance card a bit um it's hard to say it but she's not unbeatable now and the unbeatable three-year-old filly suddenly was beaten in two or four four starts last season. And that's just a niggling worry. She's in at the deep end here. It's a straight mile. She takes on a very good one in modern games, who is a Breeders' Cup winner. <coughs> is a horse who likes fast ground. Um, was really good in the lockage last time. Um, having previously kind of blown the cobwebs away at Keeneland. Fast ground's no problem. If the rain doesn't materialise, it only strengthens modern games is chances. You know, I'd be in his camp. It wouldn't be the strongest of selections. Um, I just think he's got less blowout potential 
in this than Innsbruck has. I'm not saying I don't think Innsbruck can or will blow out, but I think she can, and that's an important thing to factor in. Um, and there's a whole tranche of horses that would probably be separated by about a length or two in that middle of that pack. Your kind of chindits, your Berkshire Shadows, Light Infantries, Triple Time. They're all very similar. Um, Native Trails had his win done, but he's he's questionable. I don't think he's the horse he was. Um I would go modern games. Um two to one on the on the kind of sports books um is a fair enough price for modern games. I think he's the most likely winner. And I'd probably throw him in a Quinella with Chindit, who's got all important Ascot form. Uh ran really well in the lockings last time. Um having previous, previously won on his reappearance. And Berkshire Shadow, who obviously is a former Coventry Stakes winner, mm-hmm. uh third in the lock last time a 33 to one shot who again handles fast ground likes Ascot um, both of those two in Equinella with modern games that's the way I'd play the opener cracking race great way to start Tuesday with the Queen Anne 2.30 always gets underway for Royal Ascot and he does again on Tuesday at 3.05 it's the Coventry Straits it's a group two over six furlongs for the two year olds in years gone by Richard Hannon Senior had a horse in the Coventry that won a couple you were pretty much tied to that those days and not quite as they were in the past river tide was going to be popular unbeaten in two for aiden o'brien he brings that one over uh, Azadna for george bowie was fantastic 12 length winner at ripon when coming out on the 21st of may and was straight into the coventry favorite for a while after that until river tiber took that over give me the beat boys comes over from ireland as well jessica harrington wesley ward brings one of his Fasties over. It's only had the one run, one over five and a half at Keeneland. It's called Fandom and it's got blinkers on. And Bucarina Fuerte goes in for Adrian Murray. And there's others in there, of course, that have all done well. And Bob Slay is quite a big price for Eve Johnson Horton. I'm not sure what it's been. He beat Ballon d'Or, who was placed, I think, in France just this Sunday afternoon as well. But she's in great form, the trainer. And the Coventry. Again, there's, there's a couple at the top of the market that people just don't want to get away from, do they? Yeah, there's three of them that, that are kind of fighting out at the top, and we should probably start with River Tiber um, for the Aidan O'Brien, Ryan Moore team. He's going to be favourite. He's around the 7-4, to 13-8 mark. You know, two from two, bred to be the real deal. But this is a big acid test. Um, on ground that's much faster than the ground he's encountered. He's by Wooden Bassett, so that's got to be a niggling worry, but it was decent ground at Nace that he won last time over five, but he had the speed to run right away from them. He looks a top-notcher. Um, Aiden will fire his strongest two-year-old bullet at race like this, so you know he's rock solid, but it's factored into the price. And look, in a big field, 22-runner Coventry, where the draw can play its part too, wouldn't be in a hurry to take anything at that short a price. I think, uh, for what it's worth, I think he's probably drawn the right side. Um, famous last words, but the going stick readings as, as we stand, it seems to be a bit faster on the far side, i.e. the lower drawn horses. Um, and that doesn't, you know, you can you can get skinned quick. Um, I'm making your selections based on the going stick. Um, but it's interesting that he is drawn far side and a sadner his big market rivals draw stand side um if there is any bias you're going to look for what pace is around them there's some pretty speedy two-year-olds drawn all the way across the track so that doesn't make life too easy trying to judge where the pace is but that far side might just be uh the place to be uh a sadner was the horse that you mentioned that got all the kind of stop 
stopwatch um, nerds kind of purring about his potential. Um, it wasn't necessarily what he beat; it was how he beat them. He beat them in you know proper style, mm. um, in a really rapid time, and occasionally you get very smart ones that can come from somewhere like Ripon and reproducer here it was on decent ground he's by may of the ground will be no problems uh, market hasn't spoke hugely in his favor in recent days he was he was kind of a short five to 11 or four and he's drifted slowly and there was uncertainty of whether he was going to switch to <coughs> norfolk and he's been declared for this um but the market vibes haven't been hugely positive but he's um he's definitely a contender um the market has been hugely positive for number 12 um give me the beat boys um, Frankie riding for Jesse Harrington, two from two, um, on all sorts of ground, soft ground on a debut at Navan and then decent ground at Caro last time. Um, that was a group three, uh, one in good style, uh, quickened up really well to beat probably a couple of good horses in a tight finish. Not so Majika and his majesty, uh, probably looks an okay bit of form that, um, but he suddenly got very short. Um, he was about eight, eight to one a few days ago and suddenly half that price around four to one, but there is definitely market confidence in that. And look, you got a US Raider uh, in fandom, number 10, um, for um, for the uh, Wesley Ward team, our first chance to look at the, the US Raiders. I tend not to like their two-year-olds over six. I prefer them over a rapid five because there's only one way of um, of running, and that's point and shoot. Um, blah, uh, fandom beat a horse called uh, Blast Furnace, over five and a half on very fast ground at Keeneland um, and made all in a rapid time. So um, he's breaking out of stall 15, which probably helps um, the, the stand side, uh, whereas there was a negative. So it might all just balance out. Um, long and short of it is really hard race. It's not really the race I want to get drawn in at the top of the market because it's a coin toss and you go River Tiber, it'll be a Sadner. And if you go a Sadner, it'll be River Tiber. And if you go both of them, it will be the beat boys. It's one of those kind of races. Um, there was just one horse I thought was hugely overpriced. You mentioned Bobsleigh. <laughs> I think Bobsleigh will run really well, but it's actually the the favourite behind him that day at Epsom, Hartem of Richard Hannans, um, who, if you just go away and watch that, fell out of the stalls in the woodcut, literally fell out of the stalls, lost five, six lengths at the start, rushed up the inside, made all the ground up late, and then couldn't get out and was boxed in and then just flew home to finish third, not beaten far. Um, previously won really impressively. Um, he's 40 to one and lots of firms are going big places. Bet365 are five, Skybet are six places. Um, William Hill are four places. I just think it's a massive place. I think he's a smart, smart two-year-old. Um, I think he'll run all the way to the line. He was full of running at the end of the line over six furlongs and Epsom. He returned the the return to a sounder, quicker surface, the return to a straight six furlongs, I think is all perfect. And look, I'm not intimidated by the price. I really like him. I'm going to have a decent bet at 40s. And look, is he good enough to beat River Tiber or Sadna? Give me the, give me the beat, boys. Maybe not. And that's probably the Quinella. Sho- shove those three in uh, and put in a big price one with them and hope he beats them all. Heart him. That's the way I'd play it. But it's, uh, I think he's just too big a price at 40s. They're the two-year-olds and in the Coventry. Always a fascinating race. So is the 340, the five-furlong sprint, which is the King Stand Stakes, one of the Group 1s again. A big field of 19, hopefully, going to go to post in this one. We'll hear Bill's thoughts in a moment, but we have 
uh, interviews with connections of the Aussie Raiders. Cooling Gatter's coming over, having won recently uh, over five furlongs. And also in the race is Cannonball as well. Uh, first of all, we'll hear from Cooling Gatter and the trainer, Kieran Maher. He's going to talk about it. And so is the jockey, James McDonald, who's coming over to ride her as well. And uh, in the press conference, which was at Ascot, they did a bit of work on the track one of the mornings just a few days ago. Uh, Kieran was asked, how has uh, she been working since arriving here in the UK? She'd really thrived since being here. Uh, she's in you know, very quiet surrounds of Lambourne. So, um, yeah, she was in need of a of a... Just a nice hit out to keep a lid on her and she travelled well, she stretched and um, you know she stretched to the line nicely, you know you can see her having a nice look around but um, James said she took quite a while to pull up um, and yeah he was he was beaming about the work so um, very happy with the horse. She's, yeah, it's everything I sort of wanted today. The gallop went as smooth as it could and uh, just moved her lungs a fraction, which is also what we needed as well. I suppose winning the, the black caviar down the straight at Flemington um, gives you some confidence because, you know, the straight racing can be quite, you know, quite difficult to some of the tighter tracks at home, uh, like a Mooney Valley where she's, you know, she was successful as well. So that probably gave us the confidence to come here and and have a crack at this race and um, yeah thinking that the straight the straight track wouldn't be impossible it's not about the money it's about the prestige that that, uh, uh, that sort of you know but you know for her you know there's not a lot of five furlong um, races at that level even at home um, so and she is good fresh you know, she was successful in that race at um, in the Black Caviar at Flemington, and I just thought she's a filly that's still developing. And you know, I was keen to give her a nice spacing into this race, and uh, I was just as keen as anyone to get over here and and um, have a crack as well. She has raced well at the at the six, but um, her best form's probably at the five. So, as I said, there's not a lot of races at that level over a thousand even in Australia. She's a, probably a strong five furlong horse um, to be fair um, but she's an extremely talented filly and um, she's a dual group one winner she's beaten some of the best sprinters in Australia Nature Strip. I wish I went like we're talking head of state sort of scenarios and um, and she's done it really well over the five furlong at Flemington which gives us a bit of confidence coming here I know it's a little bit stiffer the track here but she handled herself beautifully. It's one of the greatest weeks in racing. I, I, yeah, it's um, I definitely circle it every year, and if I'm lucky enough to come here, it's it's simply I'm on the plane straight away. So I, lo I love being here. The tracks and amazing, Nick. The, just the whole atmosphere. It's just one of the best carnivals in the world. So that's James McDonald at the end talking about how big the Royal Ascot Week is, even for uh, a big, big jockey like him, big race jockey like James McDonald. He's still Absolutely loving it. Royal Ascot puts that one in his diary as soon as he can. Let's hear about Cannonball now. Uh, quite a, a young horse, a three-year-old, fairly lightly raced as well. Uh, his trainer is Peter Snowden, and uh, he was asked about doing a nice piece of work at Ascot just the other day. 
Yeah, he needed it. Um, he had a nice little blow afterwards, so it's just probably like, looking at the horse he needed. That's why we're quite keen to come here and give him a look at the surroundings and also give him a good head out on the track. And he had that, so uh, it'll bring him on nice. He's here for a reason to have that nice little blow and that travel on the truck and back here and have a look at the surroundings. So uh, probably touch more work, a little bit of fast work on Saturday morning, and that uh, should have more be wanting. Travel extremely well for a young horse. He never lost any weight at all, really. He's just uh, he's put on weight since he's been here, so. Uh, exercise about him a bit extra this morning and, and uh, maybe a touch more on Saturday morning. He's very lightly raced and I've only had him for two starts now when he won his first start, uh, start in a stakes race and then very unlucky third in group one straight afterwards so only, and only a week later uh, in blistering time minutes so he, he's certainly fast enough uh, and he's tough enough and I'm sure in time he'll be, he'll be a, quite a handy horse. This trip will certainly give him that if nothing else you'll get a lot out of what he does here. He hasn't really earned a spot. He hasn't been racing in top grade for two years and be hard in season. He's just very young and immature, so a bit of a gamble in a way uh, that we bought him here. But the two starts that I gave him, I spoke about, like that, they're two top runs, so it showed he's got the class uh, to be competitive. Um, just whether we can just keep, and then there's no reason why he won't just keep on improving. But this will this be a good trip away, it'll be good grounding for him, it'll make him, uh, and I'm sure you'll hear more about this boat later on. A lot of heritage here, uh, a lot of heritage. It's like our. Uh, Flemington and, and, and Ramwick in Sydney, it's uh, they're, 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 they're the holy grail of your country and uh, no doubt this is probably here uh, here in England, so uh, no, you're going to be part of a great week and I uh, just hope now we can be competitive. So trainer Peter Snowden talking about Cannonball, before that we heard about Cooling Gatter. We've got the most wonderful mare going around for, for a while, Highfield Princess, for John Quinn and Jason Hart, who just keeps coming back and finding more, having won and Morris de Geese over at the Deauville. Then she won New York as well in the Nunthorpe Stakes there, went to the Curra, won the Flying Five as well, all group ones, ran fourth at Keeneland and second on a reappearance in the Duke of York Clipper Stakes behind Azure Blue recently. Highfield Princess, likely to be favourite, although in the Whirlpool market, you'll hear later on, in Cooling Gatter, she might be favourite on that market. So interesting. Uh, Manacan, who we've been following for a while, has got Frankie on board for John Ryan. Dramatise won recently for Carl Burke. And uh, she's always been in good form. Got Cannonball. Twilight Calls, I know you know a little bit about him. And Twilight Gleaming, another horse coming from Wesley Ward's yard. This is a cracking renewal, isn't it? It is. It's a, pro a proper renewal of it. it, it it's really hard from a betting point of view because you've got the kind of triple group one winner from last season um Eiffel princess representing the home team who is we know how good she is she's had the pipe opener she's blown blown the cobwebs away can she carry on where she left off she's right in the deep end for her a big kind of acid test which is going to make life um just that bit tougher i would have thought um but look she she's um She's she's really smart. She's just a bit short at the top of the betting at five to two. This is a really tough assignment. And as you said, Cool and Gatter. We don't really know much about Cool and Gatter other than the fact that the memory lives long of nature strip tearing them apart last year. And it's difficult to oppose these Aussie Raiders. And I suppose the negative with Cool and Gatter is the fact that she's a three-year-old filly, and three-year-old fillies can win this race. Uh, Lady Aurelia was the last to do it. Uh, back in 2017 but she's also a three-year-old yes lady really was a three-year-old filly but 
I think only Equiano back in 2010 um, is the only other three-year-old to have won this in the last 20 years. It tends to go to a few more battle-hardened. Not saying it can't be done. And she's from the Southern Hemisphere anyway, so she probably looks like a six-year-old. Uh, but she'll she won't be um, she won't be far away. But again, short price at the top of the market. I've all week felt that when I came onto this podcast, I was going to be tipping uh, Manacan or Manacan, uh, Frankie Dettori's ride for John Ryan. But that price has completely gone in the last few days. And this time last week, Manacan was eight nine to one, and here we are, Manacan being. Um, Five to one. And that feels very skinny too. Uh, primarily, if I'm honest, look, he ticks the boxes. He's got good, firm, decent ground form here at Ascot, um, where he won the Shergo Cup sprint. But my old boy, King of Stars, got within a couple of lengths of him. And I don't fancy King of Stars' chance of getting within a couple of lengths of Highfield Princess or Gul Nagata. <laughs> so that's a slight negative. Um, so I wouldn't necessarily be in a hurry to take too short a price. Manaka and then Dramatize was good last time. Um, again, the draw, drawn in 18 against the stand side. Is that the right place to be? Last year, it was middle to far side. It's probably going to be middle to far side again with Cool Nagata and Highfield Princess. So there's a feeling that Dramatize might be drawn in the, in the wrong part of the track. Um, I'm going to go super crazy in this race. Um, tipped off a 40 to 1 chance in the last race. I'm going to do the same thing again. Um, Bradsall. The winner of last year's Coventry Stakes hasn't really covered himself in glory this season, but we know Ascot and fast ground suits. Um, six furlong was his his trademark last year, but he's shaped like a five furlong. He's tanked his way through from the front and not seemed to get home over six in <coughs> both his starts this season. And I just thought he was worth a chance. He's drawn where the action is, potentially over on the far side. And I thought 40 to 1. Some of these firms, again, Skybet six places, Bet365 five, five places, and he just might hang around. His ability to stay is a good thing. And um, his ability to travel, he kind of tanks his way through the race. I just felt that he's a horse that you could look at it and think, wow, this is too big a price, 40s. He might fall in a hole late, but look, that's the way I'd probably play it. I think, if I'm honest, it will surround the top three, 12, Highfield Princess, 10, Kunigata, 6, Manakan. But I'd be tempted to throw those three in at Quinella and throw Bradsall in, because I think he could surprise a few at a big price. The third Group 1 on Tuesday, day one in Royal Ascot, is at 4.20. We're going on the round course for the mile this time, and it's the St. James's Palace Stakes with nine going in. Uh, before we talk about it, is it Chaldean or Chaldean? Which one are you going with? Um, I don't know. Chaldean. We're going with Chaldean. Okay, I think that's the yeah. way they've told us to pronounce it. Like, yeah. like we're, we're vagabonds anyway. We don't really yeah. <laughs> Chaldean yeah. <laughs> took us took us twenty years to get Corto Star right. So what we care, right? <laughs> so Chaldean is at the top of the market alongside Paddington. And when you look at their last, the previous races, Chaldean came and won the Guineas, of course, the two thousand Guineas, um, back in early May. That form has not been great so far. I mean, I know some have come out from the back of the field in that race and won, but the form in general has not really been that uh, fantastic whereas Paddington looked really good when winning at the Curra in the Irish 2000 Guineas on the 27th of May for Aidan and Ryan uh, Cicero's gift goes for Charlie Hills unbeaten in three obviously going to step up here from a condition stake at Goodwood to a group one uh, Muster Bashir's in there as well for the Gosden and Shadwell Isaac Shelby Brian Meehan's got rid of Sean Levy Big day jockey, got William Buick on board. 
is it right or wrong? So it's down to the owner and the trainer. They decide. Isaac Shelby's won a couple of races, won three actually. That Royal Scotsman's really interesting because the Coles won't have anything bad said about this Royal Scotsman. He's been fancied by them for every race. I haven't fancied it once. It hasn't won since July at Goodwood. I reckon this is going to be a massive prize on the Whirlpool market because it's the Coles and it hasn't done well. And knowing my luck, it's probably going to run a really big race and get placed. How how did you see this race? Well, I hope you're right because I've tipped Royal Scotsman. I think oh, he's the value of the race. I don't believe that. I think he is. I think he's the forgotten horse in the race. To be honest, I thought um, comments about Chaldean. Team, that's wind you up. Uh, we're interesting considering the Derby winner came out of the race. It's a bit harsh to say nothing's come out of it. Yeah, but apart um, from the Derby winner and Little Big Bear, apart from those two. Yeah, no, it's true. It's fair, it's, it's fair enough. <laughs> I mean, look, there's. Aiden O'Brien horses, his three-year-olds can take big steps forward. I always felt the Paddington might well be the best of those. He looked good in the Irish guineas. I thought he might go down the French route. He didn't. He went down the Irish guineas route, um, being by Siuni. Um, he thought he might go down the French route, but he's chosen this route. Um, I suppose it was a question mark whether he'd handled the fast ground at the Curra, but this will be even faster. So that's your only niggle. I think he's the most likely winner. But the fast ground is probably a bit of a question mark with him. Hard Guinea's winner. But he's he's he wins too many times for it to be a fluke. Um I, th- I think he's a very good horse. And whether he wants the ground this rapid, again we don't know whether the rain will come. It's just a value thing. It, it's it, again, it's another one of these races I call a coin toss. Um, it can be expensive being the wrong side or a short price coin toss. And um, I can't really separate the two. Um, I think Cicero's gift was really interesting, but he was 10 to 1 a month ago. He's now 4 or 5 to 1. Uh, look, unbeaten could be really good, but he's priced up like he's already proven he's very good. And yeah. he's not run a race like this before. Most of Bashir's going the right places. Isaac Shelby ran well last time. He's interesting, but look, to be honest, I felt this was this was an ideal race to back a couple of big price horses, and I thought both draw one low on the round course. I thought Royal Scotsman each way at fourteens was too big. I think he was never in the whatever went wrong in Ireland went wrong, but he ran well in the Guineas, and I think uh, uh, you know was second at this meeting last year uh, in the Coventry Stakes. I think he's a good horse and he can run well at 14 to one. I thought Galleron was overpriced at forties. Uh, Charlie Hills is other runner. Mm-hmm. Um, just a big, two big, big price that there are some firms offering four places. Sky better offering four places. You know, if you can get, you know, 12 or 33 Galleron each way, um, Royal Scotsman 12 and Galleron 33 with them. I think they're fair enough. Cause I think these horses will outrun, um, their odds. And I think that's probably the way I'd play this race. I wouldn't have a strong enough view to be able to separate um, Paddington and Tildean, so I would probably play two at big prices, Royal Scotsman and Galleron, both each way. There we go. I can't believe you tipped Royal Scotsman after all I've said about it and thought about it. I had no idea you were going to sip him up. He's just going to come back and bite me. Okay, that's racing. Let's go to five o'clock, two and a half miles, the Ascot Stakes, with a maximum field of 20. And this is where the uh, the jump trainers get to where the nice kit for the day. None of that Cheltenham check clothing. No, no, it's top hat and tails for Willie Mullins, Nicky Henderson, uh, also in there as well. Ian Williams, Richard Hughes of 
a few others uh, in the world. Jessica Harrington, Paul Nichols has got a runner. Ollie Murphy's got a runner. Uh, it's Bring on the Night with Ryan Moore on board, who was second behind Coltrane, June 22. In this race last year, not seen Bring on the Night since then, of course. A horse with no name is Nicky Henderson's horse. One at Cheltenham with uh, William Buick this time in the saddle, taken over from Nico de Boinville, of course. Law of the Sea for Ian Williams. And we've got uh, Nova Legend for James Fanshawe. Calling the Wind is Richard Hughes' horse. And uh, what has Paul Nichols got down there? He's got a pleasant man with Tom Marquand in the saddle. So uh, we, we could have Willie Mullins being top trainer on Tuesday if he wins this in the final race. That would be some achievement for the Mullins yard. He doesn't do much wrong, does he? Yeah, it's a funny one. And um, Bring on the Night was a kind of expensive uh, favourite for punt- punters got their fingers burnt with this last year because he looked a certainty. As they turned in, there was Coltrane there and Bring on the Night drew alongside him at the furlong pole with Ryan Moore and you just thought this is going to go on and win and he didn't. Yeah. And Coltrane, to be fair to him, battled on. And at the time, it felt underwhelming, the performance. But actually, in hindsight, Coltrane's gone on to far better things and his favourite for the Gold Cup on Thursday. And here we are 12 months on and Coltrane's 19 pounds higher in the weights. Bring on the Knights three pounds higher than 12 months ago. We haven't seen him for 12 months, but I don't think that's a negative, probably even a positive. I mean, don't forget when he reappeared at Nace last February, that was after 644 days and and he was good that day. So um, no one knows how to ready one after a big absence better than Willie Mullen. So he'll be primed for this. This has been the target a long time. Um, Owned by lovely people uh, in the Donnellys. And I bumped into them at at, uh, Aintree and they mentioned that this was on the radar. Um, So this has been the plan a long time and I would be very surprised if Ryan Moore doesn't go one better than 12 months ago <laughs> with bring on the night. I think he is pretty rock solid. He's drawn out wide, which doesn't make life that easy, but got two and a half miles to get him into a, a rhythm and find some daylight. And Ryan's pretty good at that. Um, you mentioned jumps trainers. Nikki Henderson saddles a horse with no name who uh, was obviously effective on the flat last season. Uh, one at York, and then went on to be fifth as favourite in the Cesarewitch at um, Newmarket. Um, didn't quite get home, I felt, that day. That was over two and a quarter miles, so that's my one little niggling worry with her. I think she'll be effective on the ground and track, but what she'll be doing very late on. I mean, she won over two and a half miles over hurdles, but flat's a different kind of test, and I'd just be a little bit worried about that. But um, Henderson's pretty good at um, reading one for this race too, so... That would be um, no surprise. Uh, shout out to Peter Alderson, who's part owner of A Horse With No Name, who is also in Rare Edition. Wish Peter the best of luck with Horse With No Name. That'd be terrific if she could win. And I hope he didn't listen to the first part of this podcast where I said I don't think she'll stay. Um, but he'd love me to be wrong anyway. Um, but I think that uh, Bring On The Night is the most likely winner. The one from an each way point of view, from my perspective, is Calling The Wind uh, for Richard Hughes a horse that was been second and third in recent runnings of uh, the, the Queen Alexandra over two miles five. Handicappers begin to take a bit of a more lenient stance with calling the wind as he's getting longer in the tooth. He's seven now, but he ran well when sixth in the Chester Cup off a mark of 100. He's dropped him another pound. And they're using Billy Dot Nain. It's obviously a 
potential wonder kid of the future. And he takes three pounds off. So in effect, this horse is running off 96. And I just think 14 to one is too big for him um, to get involved in the finish late. So I will play bring on the night win. I will play calling the win each way at 14s. I think that's that's rock solid. And then for the Quinella, I'll put the pair of them together and I'll throw in Ian Williams's Law of the Sea. I like Ian Williams in this race. And I also thought the Law of the Sea ran really well in fourth in the Chester Cup and was second last time in a slowly run race. Uh, not drawn ideal in 17, but I think Law of the Sea can travel and finish off strongly. And bring on the night, Law of the Sea, pulling the wind. There's your one, two, three. Excellent stuff. That's at five o'clock, just a half an hour or so later. 5.35, mile and a quarter. Warburton Stakes is listed. Maximum field in this one as well, 16. Now, it would be great, wouldn't it, if Frankie could win for His Majesty the King and the Queen on Saga, likely to be the favourite for many, many reasons. But um, if you look at the, the handicapping mark, Bill, and I know you always look at these, if you go back to May of last year, Saga was running off 97 then finished sixth and second, went up to 105, finished eighth, went up down to 103, finished fourth, went down to 102 and finished second, is now up to 106, having been beaten ahead by King of Conquest. So it's gone up from 97 to 106, hasn't seen the winning post in front at all. Gossens must be thinking, what are we doing wrong with this? I mean, Buckaroo's in there for Joseph O'Brien, Bolshoi Ballet, who gave way to... Haskoy in uh, third place at Newbury in the the, Al, in the Aston Park Stakes is in there with Ryan Moore on board. Uh, Francesco Clement is in there as well uh, for the Gostons, King of Conquest, etc. Cadillac for George Berry. But uh, why does Saga keep going up in the handicap? He hasn't won a race for a million years. I mean, yeah, he's gone up a stone without winning, in essence. He, he, he won at Ascot back in September 21. Um, but he's had some Close, close misses. Second beaten ahead at this meeting in the Britannia last year off off our 97. That was a good run. And weaved his way through and was just touched off at Newmarket last time off 102. Showing that he's effective of these revised marks. Um, that was in a heritage handicap over a mile and one. He had been favourite for the Hunt Cup all week. And the Gosnells have rolled the dice here a bit because they decided that... <laughs> The mile, he doesn't get going quick enough over a mile. Maybe a mile and two is the is the missing ingredient. Maybe that's the trick. That's how they unlock this one, mm-hmm. is to get Saga a mile and a quarter. Look, he's going to be over bet. Um, everyone will be cheering on the King's horse. It was fast ground last year, so the ground should be okay. Trip should be okay. He should be there or thereabouts. It's not a handicap. It's a um, it's a listed race, so um, he's actually worse off and in this because he's rated 106 and he's got 9.5 and he's taking on horses like Cadillac who should be four pounds more than him in the weight. Um, even even um, stablemate Francesca Clement uh, that Rab Hablin rides, um, they're off levels here. They're both off 9.5 and Francesco Clement is rated six pounds higher. So that's that's a tricky one. Um, look, won't be carrying my money. Um, Bolshoi Ballet is interesting, but he's become... You know, one Starby favourite has become an expensive horse to follow, but a mile and a quarter on fast grounds, his bag. So I certainly wouldn't put anyone off him. He'd be one for a Quinella play. But the one I like is the top one here, Buckaroo for um, the O'Brien team with Oshie Murphy. Um, this is a horse that was uh, kind of second to um, 
Pisbadil, who I fancy for the derby last year, run it um, in the Ballysax with Jude Sessa, who was a good horse back in third um, last April, and then really stepped off, went and won at the Curra, won the Tetra easily by, by four or five lengths over a mile. Um, that was a really good run. And ended up, things didn't go according to plan um, behind um, Native Trail in the Irish Guineas um, and kind of bounced back with a, a really good defeat of Homeless Songs uh, on his reappearance uh, this season um, over a mile on bad ground. Um, up to a mile a quarter last time, was only beaten in a blanket finish in the Group 1 pre-Dispahan. was beaten less than a quarter of a length in a Group 1 um, behind Anmat and Light Infantry. It was a, a very tight finish over a mile and one. Um, switches back to a mile and a quarter here. I think he'll stay. I think the ground will be fine. Does carry a bit of a penalty, but I don't think that's a problem. I think he's the class horse in this race. And in essence, he's dropping from a group one to a listed race. I think at seven to one, he's hugely, hugely underpriced, overpriced. And I think um, I think at seven to one, Buckaroo is the bet for me. Okay, final race on day one at Royal Ascot on Tuesday, 10 past six, mile and three quarters, the Copper Horse Handicap. Uh, once again, Willie Mullins is going to be top hat and tails. He's got Ryan Moore on board, Vauban. We all know about Vauban. We've seen him for a good few years, now a five-year-old. And he's also taken a horse called Absurd over, picked it up, one on its debut for him in Maine. He's got uh, Frankie booked for Absurd, so that's going to be very popular. Ruling Dynasty goes for Charlie Appleby, Will Buick, Point King for Joseph O'Brien, who probably just going to win the race before that as well. And uh, Berkshire Rocco's in here for Andrew Baldy. How did you see the finale on Tuesday? Yeah, good, good race. This, this is all about Vauban. And this has been a big talking horse in the anti-bias markets leading up to this meeting. Uh, you've got a very classy flat horse of Willie Mullins, who ran the champion hurdle, was fourth in the champion hurdle, won the triumph hurdle the year before and was mixing at a grade one level on the over jumps. The last saw him, he was third to state man, uh, so second to state man, beating three lengths at Punchestown. They'd always said that he could run in group races on the flat and that was the, the big USP and the selling point about how good he could be um, over hurdles. Here they are. They are coming back to have a crack with their handicap mark of 101. He could be thrown in, but he is so short, it's ludicrous. And if Bring On The Night wins, it'll be even shorter because it'll be all the doubles. But the best price you can get out there is 7 to 4 at the moment. And he's as short as 13 to 8 in some places. It's just too short. For a horse, That if the rain doesn't come, it's a worry. He would never have encountered ground this fast before. And it has to be a worry for me, uh, the ground, even though this area is a proper got a lovely good ground action. Um, he was beaten on his debut on good ground and then seemed to find his form on soft and heavy ground. And he never faced ground this fast. Um, his dad, Galloway, was a mudlark. You know, it's just, uh, I just worry about it. I just worry about the ground. And look, if he was a five to one, eleven to two chance of bite your arm off for him, I just think he's a bit, bit too short at the price, and I'd be prepared to take him on. In terms of what I take him on with, uh, there's absurd is definitely interesting. Uh, Frankie rides. Uh, haven't seen him since May in a novice hurdle. 
and over two and a half miles. This is a very different test, but he was previously running around a mile and a quarter on the on the flat. Look, he could be thrown in, um, but he's plenty short enough, and Frankie in the saddle won't help the price with him. So I'd, I'd, I'd definitely be prepared to take um, absurd on at the prices. Um, I like Point King um, of Joseph O'Brien. It's a bit of a Joseph O'Brien love-in, but this is a horse that will love the fast ground. Being by Zoffany, he was second on, uh, 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 just touched off over a mile and six. He'll relish the fast pace. Um, he'll stay the trip, drawn out wide, which isn't necessarily negative over on, on the round course in these mile six races. I thought that Point King was James McDonald, great jockey booking. I thought 17 to two each way was a massive price with Hill, so he'd be my first kind of stab in the dark. Um, and the second one was one at a much bigger price. Is a horse on a roll, Chillingham. Number 15, Ed Bethel's horse. Now, this is a horse that absolutely dotted up on soft ground both the last twice, but it had one on fast ground back at Pontefract. Um, step up and trip should be no problem. He went up seven pounds for that win, but he won with any amount in hand at first. Now, we haven't seen him since April. I wonder whether this has been the plan since then. <coughs> He's by Ulysses. Um, I just thought 25 to 1 each way was too big a price. And look, if Verban wins, good luck to him. He will be in my Quinella. Well, I will shove him in the Quinella with Point King and Chillingham and hope that they emerge on top. So we mentioned Whirlpool are in town for all five days of Royal Ascot this year, which is really exciting. Some great markets to bet into. I spoke to the totes Jamie Hart to find out more about Whirlpool and their international reach. It's a global event. The best thing about the Whirlpool is everybody from every corner of the world seems to be getting getting their money into it. There are actually 28 countries betting into the Whirlpool. The most significant ones for people to think about when they're looking at the runners. Uh, Hong Kong, uh, that's the biggest part of the pool. France, the PMU is also significant. Australia, we've got a good few Australian representatives this week. And the, and the USA, of course, the Wesley Wards, and we've got a couple of other trainers as well sending stuff over from the USA. Yeah. So, Hong Kong, France, Australia and USA. Think about those because they are all betting into the world pool. So if if you have a fancy that isn't one of the, from one of those uh, countries, then the chances are you're better off betting it on the world pool. It's quite incredible, isn't it, that the, the percentages and the amount of money, and we talk every week about Hong Kong on our podcast, but the world pool markets, what, what they do like for the the derby and and the oaks and what they've done this year and the lockings as well you know sort of those big races how much more money goes into the pool and how much more money goes back to racing in the end well it's a massive amount of money goes in i think we t- we take about 30 to, we we would expect to take about 30 million pounds a day uh, on a world pool day meeting um and and i think there there've been a number of uh, uh, numbers quoted about how much money goes back to the race course for, for each day. I think the Hong Kong Jockey Club Supremo, uh, he said that it's between six hundred and eight hundred thousand each day, but that was a good couple of years ago, and it was a bit smaller a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so it's a real injection uh, of money back into British racing, and it really helps, particularly the Group Ones, when we all know the prize money in France and Australia and Hong Kong and Japan is, is is better than it is in the UK. We are suffering a little bit competitively. People still love the the pomp and ceremony of Royal Ascot. We're not very competitive on prize money, and the Whirlpool really does help us on these big days to be competitive. 
Of course, it's always great to find winners. It's always tough to find winners, though, at a venue like Royal Ascot. But with the Whirlpool market, you don't have to actually find a winner to get a winning bet. So talk us about some of the bet types. They're called Quinella, they're swingers, the trifectas. Certainly, the, you know, the, the swinger, you don't need to back the winner of the race to have a winning bet. No, I always like to think of the swinger as kind of an each-way forecast. It's kind of because it gives you extra play. So the swinger, uh, over in Hong Kong, they call it the Quinella place, but it is the swinger. We do have the swinger over here. It's never really been very as popular here, but it's the most popular bet in Hong Kong. On the world pool, 20, well, 24.6% of the money is on the swinger and 24.3% is on the Quinella. So two bets that aren't really engaged with in the UK, a half of that total, that 30 million, half of it will be in, in the swinger and the Quinella. So the swinger is picking two horses to come in the first three. So it can be any two. You can be second and third, first and third, first and second. Basically, if you have two fancies, put them in a swinger and you get paid if they come in the first three. The Quinella, for those as old as me, they'll remember the tote used to do the dual forecast. Dual forecast, yes. It is basically the dual, the old dual forecast. It's it's one and two, but in any order. So don't don't kind of go to those markets last. They are half of the total pool, those two markets on their own. So if you're looking at a little bit of value, and this is something I do, quite often you'll look in the win, the win market, you'll see something that you fancy, particularly a, a British horse, um, that might not be picked up internationally. It could be paying double the win price, you know, eight minutes out. Now, of course, everybody with an internet connection can tell that it shouldn't be that price. So people mm-hmm. file in on the win book, on the win book, uh, and and it get, and it will still pay more, but it will be it won't be paying double. You don't, you know, you see these big prices just a little, a few minutes out, but they don't stay because of there's so much flow going in trying to correct it. But that's in the win market. Those horses in the Quinella and the Quinella place remain backed like a 20 to 1 chance if they're a 10 to 1 chance so the value remains in those pools so if you do see one that's overpaying that you like don't just back it to win do back it to win of course if you want to but also throw a little bit in there with the quinellas and the quinella pace because that's where the real value will remain are there certain jockeys that are well known in hong kong in particular where the whirlpool uh, is, is dominant like frankie the tory ryan moore will buick would they be jockeys that have been over bet maybe during the races and, and other jockeys like Kevin Stott, Danny Muscott, those kind of jockeys, maybe Paul Mulrennan, that they'll be wouldn't be so quite well known. You get better prices on those kind of horses. Well, that's it. We did some research exactly on this, Chris. Um, we put all of the people, we just took all the jockeys that had at, re- at least 10 runners so that, you know, we had it. So it's, it's a decent enough um, sample. Um, it turned out the person who most often didn't overpay on the uh, on the on the whirlpool. So if you backed Christoph Sumion, you only got a bigger price on the whirlpool fifty percent of the time. Now he's the he's the worst. So Christoph Sumion, obviously we've got the PMU, the French tote. Mm. The domestic uh, supporters will be on him, but he, he's so internationally renowned, isn't he? That Hong Kong and uh, Australia, they've all seen Christoph Sumion. Second in on on the list of of horses of runners that won't necessarily will, will give you a less likely uh, overpay. Holly Doyle is uh, second most. She's she only overpays fifty four percent of the time. And one of the interesting ones in the top ten for for not overpaying so much is Kieran Fallon. Of course, it's Kieran Fallon Jr. And we were scratching our heads, going, "Well, how, how come he's become so famous?" But I, I genuinely think that some of these international world pool punters that are only really engaging with British racing on these days probably think it's still Kieran Fallon Sr. 
quite incredible. Really something to watch out for. Of course, Kevin Stott, now the jockey for Ammo Racing, they're going to have a ton of horses, the Royal Ascot. That could be very interesting to follow him. How do we bet into the Whirlpool? If we're at home, we're watching it, we're listening to it, how do we do it online? And if we go, we're lucky enough to be at Royal Ascot, how do we do it on track? Okay, well, it's, it's pretty simple. So um, I think most most companies uh, are plugged into the tote. So you should be able to, if you choose tote for your option in most of the most of the betting companies, then you will be betting straight into the whirlpool. If you want to get a, a bit better value than just just the standard uh, whirlpool price, if you come, if you do go into Tote Co UK, the the British tote, we're we're the conduit into the whirlpool, so you don't have to go anywhere special. It's just on the normal tote site. Right. Um, and but with us, you get you get the best of either the whirlpool plus ten percent, or the SP, whichever's better. So there's there's enormous value in there if you bet if you are sitting at home and you're betting on your uh, on your mobile or you're betting on your laptop, then come to Tote Co UK or tote.ie if you're listening in Ireland. And you'll be betting straight into the whirlpool, but you'll be getting even bet, better dividends than they're getting on course. If you're on course, then you get you just bet with bet with um, Ascot. It's branded up bet with Ascot, but um, they're tote tills behind there, and you get you bet straight into the whirlpool uh, at Ascot. So first day of Royal Ascot is of course a Tuesday. We've got uh, three Group One to look forward to. Uh, the King Stand's going to be very interesting for the whirlpool market, isn't it? Got you know Highfield Princess in there. Cooling Gatter has come over from Australia. So has Cannonball. We've got Dramatized possibly in that race as well. Mannequins in there and Twilight Gleaming coming over from the USA. Is this a market that's going to really stand out because of the international flavour? It's this is going to be an enormous market on the whirlpool with those internationals. It's quite an interesting one because um, only one of the last twelve favourites has won. But eight out of the last 12 winners have been top three in the betting. So it's, while there is the odd upset, um, it's, 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 pretty, it's pretty rare that, that, that we get an absolute corker coming from the, the, the rags coming into this. So I'm, I am looking around the front of the market. Um, I don't know what, what will be favourite at the off on the, on the world pool. I, th- I think Cool and Gatter, um, because of it, so in Australia, they also watch quite a bit of Australian racing in Hong Kong because of the time zone. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Cool and Gatter could end up going favourite, yeah. um, but but this you, you do need to tend to have a few um, miles on the board in the King Stand. It's one for horses with experience. We've got a lot of three-year-olds uh, near the front of the market. So Cool and Gatter, I know that you know it's, it's slightly different because it's a Southern Hemisphere three-year-old, but three-year-old Dramatised is only a three-year-old. Cannonball is only a three-year-old, and nine out of the last twelve uh, were aged four to six and. And 11 out of the last 12 winners of this had at least 12 previous runs. Now, Cool and Gatter, Dramatized, Cannibal, none of them have had 12 previous runs. Highfield Princess, for me, she just keeps on, she keeps on coming, doesn't she? So I, I, I think I'll be backing Highfield Princess on the on the world pool because I think she will not be as popular on the world pool as some of those others. That, that does make sense, doesn't it? And obviously, the St James Palace Stakes. First of all, we've got to figure out how to name the favourite if it's Chaldean or Chaldean but I think Bill's gone with Chaldean so far so I'll stick with him on that one but Paddington did us all a favour by winning uh, for Aidan O'Brien recently uh, is Paddington going to be popular maybe going to be the favourite for the St James Palace on Whirlpool it's a, it's a funny I think Paddington could well be um, they, they like they do like a Coolmore horse um, Ryan Moore is very popular uh, so you know, Caldean, Frank, Frank Vittorian in his last in his last year, 
it's 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 difficult. And then you've got Cicero's gift that just looks looks slightly underpriced given what he's achieved on paper so far. But um, in this race, seven out of the twelve last or seven out of the last dozen winners were favourite, and ten out of the last twelve were top three in betting. So it's 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 one of those ones where you don't want to look too far. There's another stat that nine out of twelve ran within the last twenty six days. So of the top three, Paddington's the only one that's run within the last 26 days so you know it, I, I think um, 11 out of 12 had won this season but most of them have I think I'd, I'm, I'm sticking with Paddington on the stats the one that's um, interesting for me as an outsider who looks like he's not had the greatest luck or track position so far was Galleron um, so Galleron James McDonald on board will be a, you know far less popular than than uh, a Frankie de Tori or Ryan Moore Mm-hmm. Um, I think Galleron, I'll certainly be involving Galleron in my uh, swingers and Quinellas because I, I just think he's the kind of horse that could really bump it up. Thanks to Jamie Hart from The Tone explaining all about the whirlpool markets available on all five days of Royal Ascot 2023. Thanks to Bill Esdale as well for previewing the first day. We'll be back again tomorrow looking at Wednesday's action. We'll also have special guests with us once again so please make sure you subscribe and follow and to make sure that you're getting the podcasts as soon as they're released don't forget to visit the city am website for all the latest news and horse racing tips from bill esdale and you can follow the podcast on apple tunes spotify amazon music and stitcher we'll see you again looking forward to wednesday at royal ascot 